Well done. Well done. Thank you guys so very much. Thanks, Glenn. Appreciate that. All right. Hey, welcome to Grace Bible Church. I'm glad you could be with us. Today is our last sermon on our very short series called Law and Order. So we're in part four of Law and Order. And uh, again, if you don't have your Bibles out, turn with me to the book of Romans chapter three. Uh, We're just covering Romans chapters one, two, and three. And we wrap it up with uh, what is the finale, essentially, of this small section. I call it the verdict. The verdict. Law and Order Part 4. Thank you guys, uh, those of you who are a part of our skit for illustrating uh, the text in such a creative and and, and wonderful way. Thank you guys uh, very much who were involved in that. Uh, So if you're in Romans chapter 3, hopefully you are, uh, let's do this, let's pray, and uh, we're going to jump right into our text this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the morning. Thank you for this wonderfully good gospel news that we have already um, heard from your word and has been illustrated by this skit, this wonderful news that Though we are infinitely guilty, though we are um, uh, uh, worthy of of all of the charges that you bring against us, and we are worthy of infinite punishment, you have loved us enough to send your son. Thank you for our defense attorney. Thank you for our new advocate, the one who goes between us and you, and who goes between the guilty verdict and takes the punishment for our guilty verdict for us, and applies his righteousness, his innocence on our behalf, so that, Father, you are infinitely just, and your justice is served. You cannot sweep our sins under the rug. You can't just uh, bat an eye and wink at us and pretend as if it does not happen. Justice must be served, and we're so grateful that it was served that day upon the cross when your son bore not only our sins, but bore the sin of every human that ever has existed and ever will exist. He bore our sin on the tree, and he rose from the dead so that we can have this wonderful offer, this wonderful plea bargain of righteousness, Uh, not uh, our own righteousness, but uh, the righteousness of Christ given to us, credited to our account, though we are completely undeserving, and we can be reconciled with you, Father. We can become your adopted children, we can become new creations, and that we can be new men, new women, uh, filled by the Holy Spirit, and changed, given a, a new nature, so that we might honor and glorify you with our life. Thank you so much for this wonderful news, this gospel that you have entrusted to us. Father, I pray now as we get into this last section called the verdict. Father, may we come to understand that though our verdict is guilty, there can be a new verdict. There can be a plea bargain. We can be declared righteous and innocent. What wonderful news. Father, I pray for those here today who have never received that pardon. They have never received the gift of innocence through faith in Christ. I pray that today would be the day that they place their faith in Jesus. And I pray for, uh, for many of us in here who have, have, have already done that. Father, may we be amazed and in awe once again, both of our sinfulness, your holiness, and your love, and your grace as shown to us on the cross. May May we marvel and may we tremble truly at the grace of God in our life. And we ask it in the name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. I want to begin with a, a quick illustration for you, and uh, it's going to take a, a little bit of, of your imagination. Imagination. So imagine with me, uh, just for a moment, uh, that we are traveling to the zoo. Let's say Brookfield Zoo, just because it's close. Let's say we're together, and we are at Brookfield Zoo, and uh, you're with me, and uh, so you're traveling with my kids, and my kids want to go to the petting zoo, right? That's what kids love to do at the zoo. They love to go and, and pet the animals, right? And so we find our way to the petting zoo, and uh, there are an assortment of 
animals at this petting zoo, but in particular, uh, my son, Asher, he fixates his attention on this one singular, uh, very small baby lamb. And so my son leads us that way to this, uh, to this lamb, and, and we find ourselves there. And uh, my son is, is petting the lamb, and then, and then it's your turn. It's, it's my turn. And so we kind, of, we kind of bend our knee a little bit, and we get down on the level of the lamb, and, and we pet the lamb, and, and the lamb licks, licks our finger. And then we kind of get a little close, and we snuggle up, and, and the lamb licks our face, and we think, what a, what a wonderful, uh, sweet thing uh, to, to be able to communicate with this, this lamb. And, and you're so in, in, enriched in the moment. You're, uh, you're so involved in this lamb, and, and it's lick of you that you've missed something. And what you've missed is that the people around you have scattered. You're there by yourself with the singular lamb, and he's, he's licking your hand, and you look up, and you notice that there's no one around, and then you hear the call, Lion! There's a lion loose. And apparently a lion has gotten out of its cage and it's roaming around looking for its lunch there in the petting zoo. And you quickly turn to your feet and you see the beast. You see it just a few feet away and it has its eyes fixed upon you. You are its lunch. You're its lunch. It's coming for you. And so you turn your attention away from the lamb and you see the lion begin to walk slowly towards you. You don't know if you should run or if you should stand still, and so you stand paralyzed there before the lion, and as the lion creeps ever closer to you, he gets closer and closer, and you're still down on one knee, bended, uh, touching the lamb, and the lion comes up to you, and he gives a tremendous roar, and you look into his mouth that is uh, full of sharp teeth and fangs, and you see the drool dripping from his mouth, and he's opening his mouth ever wider, And it's coming right towards your head. And in that moment, you close your eyes because you know your life is about to be taken from you. You're about to be lunch. And as you sit there on one knee with your eyes shut, just waiting for the worst to happen, the unexpected happens. The unexpected happens. And instead of the clinching of the jaws of the ferocious lion, instead of feeling that wrapped around your neck, you feel a very different sensation. You feel something warm and soft and wet. And what you feel, instead of the bite from the lion, is the lion is sitting next to you, licking your face and licking your hands. And you come to realize that though you were lunch to the lion, for some reason he has offered you a pardon. For some reason he's chosen to not execute his vengeance. I want to ask you a question. In that made-up scenario, I hope it's always made up for all of us. In that scenario, which, which of the animals lick made, uh, made your heart most grateful? I mean, which of those licks made, uh, made your heart leap? Which of those mattered most? Was it the lick from the lamb, or was it the lick from the lion? Which one, church? It's the lick from the lion. Why is that? Because the lick from the lamb, although sweet and nice, the lamb is, 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 is helpless and has no threat to you. And yet the lick from the, the lion, who had every right to eat you for lunch, he offered you pardon. And so this morning we see that we have found ourselves in that position. Paul has uh, argued for the case that we stand before the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, the one whom God the Father has given judgment to God, and we stand before the lion and his teeth are upon our head and we rightly deserve his bite. 
we rightly deserve for him to clamp down on our head, so to speak. We deserve justice and judgment. And yet what we find out now as we get into Romans chapter 3 is that instead of the bite of the lion, there is a lick available. There, there is a lick available. Uh, the author, uh, one author says this on this scenario. I'll, I'll quote him. His last name is Edwards. He says this. He says, the primary reason people are not astonished and exuberant at the lamb's forgiveness is that they have little or no sense of the lion's raging fury against their sins. Until we tremble on death row, we will not dance at the granting of our pardon. That's what Paul has been doing. He's wanting us to understand that we should tremble on death row, and rightfully so. And when we understand that we are on death row, but that there is a pardon available to us, then it will be all the more sweeter, and we will gladly take it and receive it unto ourselves. At this point, Paul has shown us the reality that we are all under the lion's bite, but we can experience his merciful lick. And that's what we're going to talk about in Romans chapter 3. This lick of the lion, this declaration of innocence, although our verdict is guilty and we deserve hell, what we find out is that there is an alternative, uh, an alternative verdict. There's an alternative option. We don't have to be declared guilty, though we are. We can be declared innocent. The judge can declare us innocent. And so the real question then as we come to this text is how? How does that happen? How does a holy God declare sinful people righteous? How do we get off the hook, so to speak? How do we be innocent before him? How can we be right with God? Uh, The great uh, reformer Martin Luther from many, many uh, years ago said, and this is not an exact quote, but he, he considered this section of the Bible the most significant paragraph in the entirety of the scriptures. The most significant paragraph in all the Bible And do you want to know why? It's because it addresses this central question that all of us have to deal with. How can we be made right with God? That is what this passage tells us. And that's why it's the most significant section in all of the Bible. How can we be made right with God? Paul, Paul gives us three answers, and uh, I want to share them with you, and then we'll walk our way through them, through them in verses 21 through 24. Three answers. How can we be made right with God? How can we be declared innocent though guilty? Number one, if you're taking notes, just jot these down, and, and we'll, we'll work our way through. Number one, it is given, not earned. It is given, not earned. Number two, it's received by faith in Jesus. It's received by faith in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, it's needed by all and it's available to all. So these are the three things that Paul wants us to know about this essential question. How can we be declared righteous before God? Let's take, it the, uh, take a look at the first one. It's, it's found in verse 21. First of all, Paul wants us to know that this, this innocence, this declaration of, uh, of, of a lack of guilt is given to us. Hear me, church. It's given to us. It is not earned. Let's read this together in verse 21. But now, oh, such, such precious words, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Notice on a few key things here. First of all, notice the first two words. They're significant. We can just gloss over them. But he says, but now, but now. Why is that so significant? They're just two words. It's a, it's a contrast. What's so, what's, so, what's so significant? But now. 
Well, let me try to illustrate it this way. What Paul has been telling us for for three chapters is that there is a reality for all of us. For every human being ever born and that has ever, ever existed, there is a reality, and that is when we come into the world, we're not God-neutral. Uh, we are God-haters. We, uh, we are at enmity. We're at war with him. We inherit a, a sinful nature. We sin uh, out of that sinful nature, and we are guilty before God. This is the reality that Paul has been painting thus far. We are guilty, and we're worthy of punishment. That's the reality. But then, with these two words, but now, what Paul does is he gives us an alternative reality, okay? This is so significant. He gives us an, an alternative reality that used to be true, that is true, but something else is available. Think about it this way. It is uh, in the middle of football season, and many of you know how I love football. And so here's a football illustration. Let's say you're rooting for your favorite team. Maybe it's the Illini, or maybe it's Purdue, or Northwestern, or the Chicago Bears, or the Dallas Cowboys. Everybody's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Let's just say you're rooting for your favorite team. And uh, let's just say the game starts, and uh, your team uh, is kicking off. And so your team uh, tees it up, the kicker kicks it, and it goes to, say, maybe the five-yard line. The opposing player gets it, and therefore runs about 95 yards for a touchdown. Now, we've all been there before, especially if you root for the Illini. (laughs) Uh, You've been there before. You know what it's like for your team to have a touchdown returned uh, on them, right? You're devastated. The game just started. Oh, man, this is a bad reality. Right, we're already down seven to nothing, and, and and the reality sets in that that's the case. You're losing the game, right? That is the reality. But, but all of our favorite words that we like to hear from the commentator. Wait a minute, there's a flag on the play. Now, football fans, what does that mean? Well, it can mean numerous things, but most likely, if it goes in your favor, what that means is there's a possibility that the reality of being down seven to nothing can be nullified. There's an alternative reality available, and you continue to watch, and the referee then uh, says, holding on the offense, right? Uh, 15-yard penalty, first down. And what you find out is that the reality of that touchdown that puts you in debt to the other team has been nullified, right? And so you go from this reality of Oh, we're down to an alternative reality, a reality that it's, it's zero, zero, it's nil, so to speak. This is kind of what Paul is doing. There is a, a reality of, 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 of justice and of judgment, but wait a minute, there's a flag on the play, so to speak. There's another alternative that's available, but unlike a football game, uh, or, or I guess in some sense very much like a football, football game, you have to receive it. Because in that instance, for those of us who are football fans, you know that the holding is the call, but the team has to accept the penalty, don't they? They have to accept it for it to be real. And what Paul is going to argue is, he's going to argue, wait a minute, there's a different reality here. There's righteousness and there's right standing with God that can be had. Now, so what does that look like? Well, first of all, he says, It's given to us. Notice he calls it the righteousness of God. It's been made known to us. Apart from the law, the righteousness that is of God. Your translations say from God. I I like that better. It's a righteousness that comes from God. That is, it's given to us from God. It's right standing, which is innocence, a declaration though we were innocent, uh, though we were guilty, we were innocent. It's from God. And then notice, it's apart from the law. 
It's from God. It's given to us from God, but it's also apart from the law. What does that mean? Well, it simply means it's given to us from God, and it can't be earned, right? Those two things go together. God gives it to us, and we cannot earn it. And so what that means is though uh, the innocent verdict is is not because of our morals. It's not because of our good deeds. It's not because we're religious, right? It's because God has chosen to give us a gift, Now, I think we have an image. Do we have that image, Jane? I want to show you an image uh, that I found striking. Can you guys read that? What does it say, church? Earned, not what? Earned, not given. Um, I I was just doing some searching, and and, uh, what you'll see there in the middle, although it's somewhat obscure, is an NBA championship ring. And what you'll see on the top is a little logo that looks like a crown. This is a, a logo that Nike put out after LeBron James won his first NBA title. And what the ad is all about, and you'll get t-shirts and all this stuff, is they want us to know that LeBron earned his ring, right? He earned it. He played well. He earned it. He won the championship. He earned it. It it wasn't given to him, right? That's how our world thinks. We earn things. We're not given things, right? But, But what Paul wants us to know is that with righteousness, with right standing with God, it's exactly the opposite. And so, and uh, you can move past that image, but what Paul is trying to pay, uh, paint a picture, let's imagine that scenario, and there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a crown on top of those words, but on that crown is a crown of thorns, and there's a cross instead of a ring, and what God says is, wait, no, no, that's not how it goes. It's not earned, not given, it's, it's given. It's not earned. And so Paul wants us to know the very first thing about this right, this innocent verdict that we can have is that there's no way in the world that we can earn it. It is given to us by God as a gift, and it is righteousness that he gives us. So that's the first thing about becoming right with God. It's, it's given to us, it's not earned, but Paul continues. That's not all he has to say. He, he wants us to know something else, and it's found in verse 22. He says it's received by faith in Jesus. It's given to us by God as a gift. We can't earn it. But therefore, when that gift is is offered, it's given to us, it has to be personally received. And the Bible calls that faith. The Bible calls that belief. The Bible calls that receiving. There are a bunch of synonyms. But Paul here in 22 says that it's received by faith in Christ. Let's read verse 22 together, and I'll show you this. He says, this righteousness is given, right? This righteousness is given through what, church? Faith. This righteousness is given through faith in whom, church? Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And so think of it this way. He says, if if this right standing, if this innocence, right, is given to us by God, it's a gift, it's as if he takes it and he offers it to us, then logically we must do something with that gift because a gift offered is not a gift received, right? A gift offered is not the same as a gift received. And so if this righteousness comes as a gift, well then what is our part? What do we do? How, I mean, what do we do if we can't earn it? Well, the Bible says you do have a part. You don't earn it, you take it. You receive it. It's through faith. Uh, pastor Erwin Lutzer up at Moody, a wonderful pastor, says this about this passage, about faith. He says, he says when you come to Christ, you do not come to give, you come to receive. You do not come to try your best, you come to trust. You do not come to be helped, listen, but to be rescued. 
And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying God is offering us this gift and we have to receive it and that act of receiving it is called faith. But notice there's more than that. It's an act of receiving it, but what is it particularly that we are receiving? I mean, what, what's this gift that God is giving us? We know it's righteousness, but, but whose righteousness is it? It's righteousness from God, but he specifies. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Another way to ask it is, what is the object of our faith? What are we placing our faith in? Well, quite simply, the Bible says that we place our faith, our trust, in what Jesus Christ has done. Totally. We place our faith in the gift of what Jesus did for us. In verses 24 through 26, we're not going to read it. I I read it a few minutes ago. But if you look at that, it's jam-packed with the work of Christ. It tells us about the work of redemption and atonement. It talks about how God's justice and his mercy were both satisfied. Shortly and quickly, it just says we place our faith in what Jesus did for us. So first of all, what did he do for us? Well, number one, He lived a perfect life. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law. And get this, church, what he does, what happens here is we take and we receive Jesus Christ's righteousness, his perfect obedience. I don't know about you, but I've never done anything perfectly. I've never been obedient to God perfectly. No one ever has except for Christ. And so he's the only one who can give it. And so what we do is he, we receive this gift of this perfect uh, life of obedience. And the idea is that it's credited to our account. We're all familiar with this idea. It's like something is given to you. It's, it's credited to your account, even though you didn't do anything. And conversely, not only does his life matter, but his death and his resurrection matters. What the Bible tells us is that he died also as a substitute. He bore God's wrath in our place for our sins, and then that is credited upon him. So it's called the great exchange. We receive his righteousness. We receive his perfect obedience. And what does he get? Well, he gets our sin. (laughs) He gets our guilt. He gets our wrath. The theologians call it the great exchange. And it's it's at the heart of the good news of the gospel. That is what Jesus Christ did for us. And so the second thing we see is that this gift is given by God. It's not earned. So what's our part? Well, we just, we receive it. We believe it. We take it, right? But here's something that is utterly, utterly important. What this verse does not say is that at the death and resurrection and burial of Jesus Christ, that everyone receives this gift. That's not what this verse is teaching. It says there's a part, we have to personally receive it by faith. That's why it says we have to take it by faith. And so it's not like Jesus Christ dies and just gives everybody. He didn't force this gift upon anyone. It has to be personally personally received. Uh, there's a story in a book uh, by, uh, by Edwards, and I want to share this quick story. I want to read it to you because it's, it gets right at the point that we have to receive this gift by faith. And so Edwards in his book, Evolution with, uh, Revolution Within, says this. He tells a story of a man by the name of George Wilson, and I'll read it to you. He says this, In 1829, quite a long time ago, a man by the name of George Wilson was arrested for robbery and murder in a heist of the U.S. mail. He was tried, he was convicted, and sentenced to death by hanging. So it's not looking good. Some friends intervened on his behalf and were finally able to obtain a pardon from President Andrew Jackson himself. So apparently he had friends in high places. So he has a pardon from the president. But when Wilson was informed of his pardon, here's the twist, he refused it. 
saying that he wanted to die. This left the sheriff with quite a dilemma. How could he execute a man who has been officially pardoned? It is quite a, quite a quagmire. He continues, An appeal was made to President Jackson as to what to do. The perplexed president turned the matter over to the U.S. Supreme Court. So it's at the highest level of our judicial system. Chief Justice John Marshall gave this ruling, and I quote, The justice says this, A pardon is a piece of paper, the value of which depends on its acceptance by the person implicated. Anyone under the sentence of death would hardly be expected to refuse a pardon, but if it is refused, it's no pardon at all. So, he writes, thus George Wilson was executed on the gallows, while literally a signed pardon lay a few hundred feet away from the sheriff's desk. Isn't that amazing? The truth applies to us. A pardon is not a pardon unless it is personally received. And so Paul says, what is our part? We receive the pardon. We take God through faith in Christ up on his offer, and we have to do it personally. And so we've seen a couple things. How do we get right with God? How can we be declared innocent? Well, we realize that this innocence is a gift, and we can't earn it. We realize that our part is receiving it by faith. But then he adds a couple significant things, verse 22 through 24. What he shows us is then this gift that's made available, it's needed by everyone, and it's available to everyone. So let's read again in verse 22. Middle of verse 22. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For what? Some? Church? What does it say? For all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what? All or some, church? And and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. The point I want us to make is is this. Paul uh, kind of sums up this argument with uh, anticipating a couple reactions. He wants to hit a couple other things uh, that, he's, that he's anticipating. There may be some questions. Who really needs this gift? And secondly, who can receive it? And so he, he addresses the first one, and he addresses a possible reaction. So you may be thinking, as some of Paul's hearers may be thinking, you know, I don't need this gift. I really don't need this gift of innocence that you're talking about, Paul. Now, hopefully, you're not thinking that because we spent four weeks and Paul spent three chapters convincing us that we do need it. But he goes back to it one more time and he says, if there's anybody who's thinking, I really don't need this righteousness. I really don't need this gift. I don't, I don't need it. He says this. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The idea is that our purpose is to glorify God in all that we are, and we fall woefully short of that purpose. We fall short of the glory of God. All of us do. Now, some of us may do it to a greater degree, but we all fall short. So think of it this way. If we stand uh, when we're done, and we go out to the edge of Mick and Ralph's place at, at, at Kellert Lake, and we all take a rock, and I say, okay, all of us, throw the rock across Kellert Lake— Some of us will be able to do that. Some of us won't be able to do that, right? Some of us will be able to meet that mark. We won't fall short. We can throw a rock across that part of Kellert Lake, right? Some of us can. But what if we then took a church uh, picnic and we went all the way up to Lake Michigan and I said, everybody get a rock. Okay, throw a rock across all of Lake Michigan. Can we all, could any of us do that? Church, no, right? That's the answer. No, no one can do that. We may throw it further than some people, you know, like, my wife will throw it a few feet, and then I'll throw it further than her. Right, honey? I've got a good arm. Uh, but it doesn't make any difference. 
It doesn't make any difference. You've got a good arm, honey. No worries. I want lunch today. (laughs) Um, It doesn't make any difference because we both fall short, right? And that's what Paul is saying. We all fall short of this great goal of glorifying God. So, so you can't say, I don't need this gift. But then there may be some people in that day, and, and some of you, you may be thinking, okay, I realize I need the gift, but listen, this gift, it's just too much. I mean, I'm beyond this gift. That is the person who may think, boy, I've really messed up. I've, I've sinned too badly. I mean, I see that list in chapter one, and I could add my own. I'm, I'm really a bad sinner. God could never accept me. I've done some horrible things. And to that person, he says, listen, not only has everybody sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we all, even you, can be justified by his grace. And so he says, anybody can be made innocent, no matter how much bad they have done. And so church, let me bring this home, and then we're going to take communion. Have you ever come to the point where being right with God, and you've understood it to be a gift? Maybe you've had it messed up in your mind, that somehow you think you can earn it. Have you come to realize that it's a gift, that it can't be earned? Have you come to realize that It's not just something that is given to you automatically, but it has to be received by faith. Have you ever personally received this gift by faith through prayer or some other kind of uh, act of faith? Have you ever personally done it? Guys, I went to church, a a gospel-preaching church, from when I was probably 10 to when I was 18, and from the age of 10 to the age of 15, I sat in the church, I understood the gospel, but I had not personally received it for five years. And I fear that there are many of you who have sat in church for longer than that and you understand all of the gospel, but you're like George Wilson. The pardon is waiting there, but you haven't personally received it. And so I'm gonna give you a chance to do that today in a minute. So what I wanna do is this. I want to enter into a time of prayer and then we're gonna take communion together. And so as I pray, I'm gonna pray for us. And in particular, if you sit there and you said, I've heard all of this good news, I've heard all the bad news, how we can't do it, and I've heard all the good news that Jesus did it for us, and I'm like George Wilson, I've never personally received that, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that right now. And then I'll pray for us, and then we'll uh, take communion together. It's, it's open for anyone who has personal faith in Christ. And if you've done that, then you are welcome to come and to remember the awesome salvation that we have been given through the bread, the, the body of Christ, and through the juice, the blood of Christ. And we'll celebrate that as Christians together. But let's pray, and then we'll do that. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for this wonderful news that though we are guilty, we can be made innocent. Father, I pray for anyone here, if they have never personally received Jesus, that they would pray these words in their heart um, after me. And it's not a magical formula, but Father, if there's someone here and they want to express faith in Christ, may, may they do it now. Say something like this. God, I come to you and recognize that I fall short of your glory. I fall short of perfectly obeying you, and I am not worthy of this gift of salvation. I come recognizing that you have given it as a free gift, that I cannot earn it, but I simply take it by faith. I receive it. I give it. uh, I receive it from your hands, and I trust in what your son has done in his perfect life for me, in his death for my sins. I receive that gift now. And I thank you for it. And I thank you for the way you're going to change me. And if you've never done that and you've just expressed faith in Christ, what I want you to do is come find me while we're taking communion. I'll be sitting on the front row. Come find me, share with me, talk with me about that decision because you've gone from death to life.
Father, I do pray now as we take communion that we would be in awe, uh, not, uh, not only of the lick from the lion, but of his claws. Jesus, you are holy and you are our judge. But we thank you that though you are the great lion of Judah and you are wrathful against our sin, we thank you that you are also the lamb who died for our sins. We thank you and we celebrate it this morning and we ask it in the name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen.